0: Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Today we're going to be in chapter 10. Not all of chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 1. I think all the way down to verse 16. Sorry, verse 18. Uh, I'd like to say I'm not going to preach all those verses. But I really probably am. It's terrible. 10, 1 to 18. Because... The writer of Hebrews doesn't do anything small. He, he likes to explain what he's talking about, and, and therefore it's really hard. I find it's really hard to preach because he explains it himself. Might as well just read it out. Anyway, so yes, I'm going to read it to you. Follow along in your own Bibles or on your phones. Are you on Facebook? You bet's good. Should have everybody hold up their phones before the service just to show. And then you all scroll back. Yeah. Should have a sign somewhere, Facebook Forbidden Zone, you know, or Instagram Forbidden Zone, or whatever else they have these days.
1: Anyway, that's all right.
0: Verse 1. And the version that I'm reading from is the Christian Standard Bible, Julia. Just so you know. Julia asked me what it is, and I was like, I have no idea. Since the law has Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come. And not the reality its, itself of those things; it can never perfect the worshippers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, they wouldn't have stopped. Wouldn't they have stopped off being offered, since the worshippers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, You did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law, then he says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there was forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Amen. Amen. And again, you can see why it would be difficult to preach that because there's, I say that, but as preachers, we have to preach things. Because uh, the writer explains that he's going along, he is demonstrating it to them, the truth of the very acts. Like remember, always like to remind you, reminding you is important part of things here. He's writing to them to comfort them in their troubles, they are having panic attacks. The fact that they're not allowed to enter into the temple. They're being restricted from temple worship. They're in a conflict of conscience because the rest of their families, the rest of their cultural, social groups are all going up to the temple to make sacrifices, yearly sacrifices for sins. And yet they themselves know and understand that Jesus has been their sacrifice, is their sacrifice. That through him and by him, their sins have been forgiven and they have eternal reconciliation with God. They no longer have to offer up sacrifice for sins because Jesus has forgiven their sins by his sacrifice once and for all. And so here now, the writer or the speaker, the Hebrew guy who did this, he's explaining to them. The difference between the old and the new. He's illustrating to them that they no longer need a system by which they are made clean. And indeed he explains to them that the old system didn't even purge them of their sins. It it wasn't an effectual system because it didn't actually have any internal aspects. And he explains to them in the very beginning that the law was only a shadow of the good things that were to come. It was a type, an illustration, a parable as, it, as you were. And he explains to them that those offering up these things could never be purged from their sins. God took no delight in the death of bulls and goats. Again, all of that gore and blood and death was an illustration of what it would take. For your sins to be forgiven, of the seriousness of your actions, that there was a consequence to your rebellion against God. It was a, a, an interactive three D experience when you went to and offer up sacrifices. The man would have come, and he, if he had offered up your little pigeons, the majority of us who were poor we'd go and he would offer up our little pigeons and they would take them and they would kill them, break their necks and rip them open and they would take a a dip of blood and they would anoint you with the blood on your, and the the smell of the blood, the, the, the sound of the ripping of the flesh, the death of the animal. It was all very graphic. And then they would take the animal and they would put it on the barbecue. It wasn't really a barbecue, but you and I recognize it was a barbecue. Don and I know what barbecues look like. It was a big altar. It was a giant barbecue that was so hot it glowed. It was always on fire. It was never put out. It was always glowing hot. And they would take it and <laughs> you'd have your chicken fillets or whatever they were, I don't know. And they would burn it and you'd smell the burning of the feathers. You'd smell the burning of the flesh. Very interactive, very memorable. You'd hear the bleeding of the animals, the cooing of the doves. You'd hear the people chanting their prayers. You'd see the, the big, burly priests. Priests in the Old Testament were like priests in the, today in, in the Lutheran Church. You shake a priest's hand in the Lutheran Church, you, you're afraid you break him. In the olden days, in the Old Testament, a priest had to be able to pick a 50 kilogram carcass of an animal up by one hand and thro- throw it up onto the, the altar, which stood over like seven foot high. Uh, they were big, burly men. They were like contestants for the world's strongest men. It kind of wr- wrecks our idea of what a priest is supposed to look like. With beards, of course, you know. They, I think they look like seal teams or, or rangers, you know, that, that kind of man. They were big, burly men. The writer here, the speaker, the Holy Spirit through the person, he's demonstrating that the old system wasn't there to take away our sins. And that we shouldn't feel the temptation to go back into that system, to flirt with it, to be at peace with it. There's nothing in it that provides us any relief. He's comforting them in their troubled mind. He's supporting them and securing them. He's giving them the... The ability to stand fast in the face of temptation. And it, that in itself is a good lesson for us. You're, one of the, the, the foundational verses that of our church, which should be written up there somewhere, instead of these silly things. They're not silly, they're Word of God, but we wouldn't have them there. Hosea 4 and 6. Because of a lack of knowledge, my people are quickly destroyed. How do we stand against temptation? How do we stand against intimidation? How do we stand fast in this world? In an atheistic world, in a humanistic, in a sin-loving world, in a pagan world. Don, yesterday at the men's Bible study, was telling us about the paganism of South Africa. Oh my goodness! South Africa is a pagan country. Shocking! And Don was talking about the, the, uh, the pressure, the social pressure applied by aunties and mummies and, and the ladies. How do you stand fast against social pressure? How do you stand fast against peer pressure? How do you stand fast when all the world is against you? Athanasius. I stand with Julia and Athanasius. Don't know who your Athanasian is. Ask Julia. Julia will tell you. How do you stand fast when all the world is against you? And the answer is you must know what God has done for you. You must know what the word of God says. The writer here is explaining to the troubled Christians. Those who were fearful and almost giving in. Those who were intimidated and, and maybe just didn't say anything. When they knew that they should. All of a sudden their shoes became very interesting. Instead of having to respond. The idea here is that the knowledge of what the word of God says. Of what God says. Of what God demands of us. Emboldens us. Strengthens us. It says in the book of Daniel. For the people who know their God shall be bold. Bold. I like that expression. What does bold mean? Means uh, kaksi in Swedish. Perhaps a good word. Strong. Unfrightened. Courageous. Ready to rush in. Where's the problem? Like a firefighter. You never seen firefighters when they arrive at a at, a, at a, an accident? I remember a long time ago when we first came to Finland. There was an apartment on fire above the dog. I think I told you before, we got all the kids out. When the firemen arrived, they didn't even ask where the fire was. They started hacking on every door they could see. They were entering in every building. They were ready. They were like, they knew who they were. They knew why they were there. And they were, they were like dogs on a leash trying to get into the building. They were bold, fearless. Courageous. The Bible says that the people who know their God, how do we know God? Through God's word, how he has revealed himself. And that's what the writer is doing here. He's revealing God to the people. He's revealing the, the understanding of what God has done for us and how we can stand fast in the confidence of knowing what is right I told the guys yesterday that I had a conversation with Lydia this week and it was a very uh, philosophical conversation. We were discussing goodness. You know, what is it to be good? Am I a good person? Do I count myself as a good person? I was like, eh, eh, And, uh, and she said she, she aspires to be a good person in this life. And I think we all Mostly, mostly, sometimes if you have kids, you kind of wonder, do they really want to be good? Hmm. And I, I said, I, have, I desire to be righteous rather than good. Because good is very cultural. What is good in South Africa is very different than what's good in, in Finland or in Ireland. But righteous, righteous is dictated by, by what God says. And if we are to be righteous, we must know what is right by God's standard of righteousness. If you desire to be right with God, made righteous, therefore you must know what God has demanded. How does one become right with God? The Bible says that righteous shall live by faith. By faith we are made righteous. Not because of our acts, but because of the act of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And here the writer is explaining. Believer, if you're weak. In your life. If you are struggling in issues. If you are intimidated and overcome by the people around you. Or are you somewhat ashamed of your Christian life? Embarrassed. It's because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge of God's word. A lack of, no- of believing. Of accepting. Of accepting. Unsurety creates instability or instability. I think the word is instability. Thank you, Julia. Susanna just rolls her eyes. Kyle's making up words again. (laughs) Martin Luther did it. I'll do it. If Tyndale did it, I can do it. To be stable in this life, to be stable in our faith, we must know what God says we must have a right understanding of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf in order that we might be stable. Here, the people were were in a a, a instability because they were tempted to go back to the old life. They were tempted to put off the newness of the Christian life and just behave like everybody else. To conform onto the culture around them just for a quiet life just because they didn't want to cause offence just because they didn't want to suffer the ind- indignation of persecution whether that persecution was a raised eyebrow who does that person think he is or a question mark look you ever seen anybody have a question mark look you know I have no idea what you're talking about bing You know, like, people in our culture don't necessarily throw things at you or burn you at the stake or, you know, physically or verbally abuse you. With us, it's more a case of they'll gossip behind your back. They'll uh, kind of maybe look at you in a funny way. And it's the fear of those things that hold us back. And we're not unusual. We see from the very beginning Christians having to deal with those things but the way you overcame it, the way that you will overcome it is by knowing what Christ has done for you. Knowing the reality of the sacrifice and the extent of the sacrifice that we are called to be different and we're called to be people of faith. It's one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews is living by faith. That our lives are to be dictated by something bigger than just the external. Something more than just blending in with our culture and going along with the herd. We must stand fast in our faith. Indeed, the Bible says if you do not stand in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's not a biblical quote, but it's a quote I have in my phone, which is in my coat. I have on my Word file, you, know, you have these Word, you know, Word. And I have an entire file, it's like hundreds of pages long now, of quotes. I collect quotes. And there's one quote that I, I like, and it says, If you don't stand for something, you'll stand for nothing. If you don't stand for something, you'll stand for nothing. And we as Christians are called to stand in our faith. Stand together with Jesus Christ in a world that is faithless. And here again, the, uh, the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer, is demonstrating to us the reality of knowing what we believe. Knowing what the Bible says. Knowing what God has done. Because if we lack the knowledge, if we lack the, the, the understanding of what God has done, you will be quickly destroyed in your faith. Jesus said, that he who built his house upon the rock, when the storm comes, when the flood comes, when the time of trouble comes, that house will stand. But he who builds his house upon the sands, just upon the dirt outside. You ever been to a beach with big giant sand dunes? You ever try to make a sand castle out of dry sand? <laughs> he who builds his house upon the flowing sands when the trouble comes. When the flood comes, when the storm comes, that house will not stand and it will fall. And Jesus says its falling will be great. <laughs> Beloved, if we are to stand as Christians in this culture, in this life, as a, as a community, as a church, and as individuals... And then, of course, you can say as couples or whatever you want. But as Christians, in the many different degrees of our, our reality, you must have an understanding and your life must be based upon faith. He goes on. He goes on. Therefore, in verse 5, as he was coming into this world, he that is Jesus said, and it's a quote here from Psalm 40. So I don't know if Jesus actually said it or not, but it's said of him that he said this. You did not desire offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not desire offering. The idea again is that God ultimately did not desire the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons and whatever else was given. That was never God's plan. God desires not sacrifice, but obedience. And the old system with all of its rituals and ceremonies could not save a man. The writer is demonstrating that. And you and I, we don't belong to that super religious system of animal sacrifice and men with funny hats and golden things and, you know, we're a free church. We're normal people. <laughs> it's hard for us to really understand being bound to some kind of ultra religious system. We think of, in our world today, the Roman Catholic Church. You can think of the Lutheran Church. Uh, I talked a few weeks ago to a, a young couple who uh, have just had a baby. I think it's actually their second, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's their second. And they're not religious at all. And he's certainly not religious at all. And uh, they told me with great pride that they're going to have their baby baptized. And I was like, but you don't belong to the church, do you? And I was like, no, not really. But the parents, family, it's expected. It's what we do is culture. And I was like, but you hate the church. Because he really doesn't like the church. <coughs> But because of cultural pressures, because of fear of his mother or his grandmother or whoever else. Or her mother. I think it's more her mother that he's afraid of rather than his mother. Um, they're going to get all that done. And they're bound to that system. And then as soon as the child's in that system, of course, they'll have to go to confirmation classes. They'll have to you know, get married in the church, whatever. And just it's repeat, repeat, repeat. They're bound in that system somehow. Yet, we know that we are freed from that. Here is the idea that if the Jewish system couldn't save, with all of its rituals and ceremonies, with all of its special sacrifices, the religious systems of this world, whether it be the Roman Catholic Church, whether it be the... The Lutheran church, whether it be the Mormon church or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists. With all their rules and regulations, you must do this. You must wear your underwear a certain way and then you must wear your underwear a certain The Mormons have holy magic underwear that they have to wear. They look like Bermuda shorts underneath your trousers. And they have to wear them. Can't take them off. And to, when you take them off, you have to have take like... It's really weird. You take one leg off and then you put another pair on. You take the other leg off and then you put the other leg on. You have to do it because their God requires it. It's a system of religion that keeps you righteous. That keeps you right with God. And yet the writer here is telling us that Jesus Christ set us free from all of that. He, Jesus came to set us free from the, the regulations of our religious life. And then he goes on. It says here in verse 9. Uh, then he says, see I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified by the offering of the, blood of the body of Jesus Christ one time and for all. One time and for all. Do you have to make sacrifice or offerings or beat yourself? It's human nature to try and make up, to pay back. It's human nature to try and earn your righteousness and yet the writer here is telling us that for one time and for all through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ we who believe by faith we have been set free we have been made right you don't have to come here and take communion every week to keep topping it up fill up that grace this week you haven't been as good as you were last week Johanna, you've been a bad, bad girl. Johanna has to come and top up her grace, you know. But the Bible tells us that it's not that way. The Bible tells us that, that your sins were enough to condemn you. And even now, each and every one of us without Christ do not deserve God's love or kindness or, or goodness. But because of what Jesus Christ did for you on your behalf, because he gave his life one time and for all, you have been sanctified. Again, for us who are not part of any kind of former religious system, we don't understand the depth of it. But if you think of the Roman Catholics who have to have mass more or less every single day, and in a the, in the Roman Catholic good chance to mass, they re-sacrifice Jesus every day. They, they imprison him on the crucifix. And in doing so, they are paying for their sins. They're re-sacrificing Jesus in order to deal with the sins that we commit day and daily. The sins of our present. But it is not that way. Jesus died for all of your sin. Past, present and future was laid upon him. And you've been cleansed completely. One time and for all. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to repent of things that you've done. We, we all have that wretched man, person within us. The, the forms of real life. We, we're still wrestling with the, the, uh, the fallen nature within us. None of us are perfect. None of us do what's right day and daily. We are still having to be transformed and renewed. Changed from glory unto glory. Still struggling with the the residue of sin that lies within us. Still having to repent. Still having to reform, reconcile, restore. We know the process. But the ultimate debt, that which was before God as a big black stain, a big black stain on your jumper. You know? <laughs> you know, I can remember once where I, I was, one of our cars, like it was the Ford, not the Ford, the, um, the Vauxhall. It broke down and we were on our way to church and I opened the, the hood, you know, the car, the bonnet where the engine is and I leant in like this. And my tie, I was wearing a tie. It was before this church when we had... And I put my... My tie went in there. And uh, the grease just went all up my tie. Like, flump, And and covered my shirt. I had to preach that day. And uh, and I'm like, oh. Oh. And you try and get a grease stain out of a tie, silk tie. Try and get a... a, 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 a a a grease stain out of a white shirt doesn't work you know Mm. and uh, God has set us free that stain which couldn't come out that stain which was seen by everyone and you could see it from from really far away it was so obvious but the Bible says that God will no longer see our sin he will no longer see the stain that marks us that, that sets us apart as far as the east is from the west, he shall remove it from us. Though our sins be as scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. He goes on and says um, in verse 12, But this man, that is Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins, however, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' work was done. He would never had to offer up another sacrifice. Never had to offer up a sacrifice for himself or for anyone else. When his work was done, it was signified by what, how he sat down and had a break. Entered into his Sabbath rest. And all that's left now is he's waiting upon the reaping of the reward. The, the coming in of the harvest, that's you and me. He's waiting for, the, for all of us to come to the fullness of the measure of those who will believe. And then when the last person who is designated the last believer, do you know there's a last person to come into the kingdom? There's someone out there with the ear tag, the seal upon their head, the t shirt. I'm the last one. And when the last one comes in, the trumpet of the angels so will sound. And the heavens shall be rendered like a great wormhole in the sky for those Trekkie fans out there. And the angels, the multitudes of the angels shall pour, pour forth and shall harvest God's righteous. And then God shall pour out his wrath upon the earth. And the Bible says that the heavens and the earth shall pass away. They shall roll up like a scroll. They shall melt like wax. Like a candle melting. There's nothing left. Everything shall be gone. He sat down. And it says in verse 13. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. They're all placed under his feet. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. Beloved, you and I have been made perfect. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Don't ask my wife. Though we may not be perfect people in the sense of uh, uh, of doing everything right, of saying everything it's right, of. of being the most pleasant people and the most attractive people. But in Christ, you have been made perfect. God loves you. You're the apple of his eye. When he looks at you, he smiles. You were, you know. Little kiddies. Kids when they come in and they're just adorable. You know, you just love. There's some kids that are just adorable. Felix comes in and you're just like, Oh, oh, and you're just like, oh, and they're the apple of your eye. You're just like, oh, you can't have but That's just all they are. They just elicit that kind of. Uh, I remember, I think I've told you so before, hilariously funny. I know it's a funny story. Uh, last Christmas, Amy and Amelia were with us, and uh, they had the, the, the present for me in a box, really nice, wrapped box, beautiful on it and everything and they made a big deal about me having to come in and receive this present I was cutting turkey or ham or whatever it was and I was all and they were making a big deal of it and I thought this is weird why did, why, why did they make it a big deal of giving me a present and so I, I opened the present up and, and there was a, a, a knitted garment in it and I looked at it and I thought baby clothes baby clothes and I thought, oh, they're going to have a baby. And, and, and Eamon and I have talked about this, and, and uh, we have an understanding. And I was, inside me, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a grander. Oh! And then there was a realisation of, you know, it's not time yet. And there was like, and then they moved away the paper, and it was a pair of socks. <laughs> And all of a sudden, this crashy weight of disappointment flooded me. It was a roller coaster ride of emotions in seconds. Oh, oh. And then this shock of. I was so happy and then so d- disappointed. And I just laughed so hard. It was the shock of it. You know? Yeah! Oh, what? <laughs> all in a few seconds. And. Uh, I can't remember that. Perfect! Can't remember what the point of that story was, but yeah, it was a funny story. God, oh yeah, being the apple of his eye, God looks at you the way I looked at those socks for a brief moment, with that sheer excitement and delight. And, ooh! I have to say, it's probably the most happiest moment of my life. It <laughs> turned into the biggest disappointment of my life. In seconds, like in a second. Turn around that quick. Um, God, when he looks at you, you who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, you who have been born again, you who belong to Jesus, who by faith have been made righteous, when God looks at you, he's not disappointed. Oh, believer, please get your mind out of the gutter. He doesn't look at you with a a magnifying glass. You all know I, I paint models. Me and your husband, I know. Uh, yeah. Martin is my Padawan. He is my, my, my apprentice in the painting of models. things. But my eyes are really bad these days, you know. I need bigger glasses. I need like, glasses and like, binoculars. I can't see anything these days. That's why I have a big, big letter Bible. Um, and so when I'm painting my models, which are tiny little things, I have to have a big magnifying glass with a torch on it so I can see properly, get the details. And um, so when you're holding one of the models like this, you can see it looks pretty good. But when you put it in the magnif- under the magnifying glass, you see everything that's wrong with it. You're like, oh, throw it away. Far too often, you and I look at ourselves through the magnifying glass of our own opinion. And we look upon ourselves and we see all of the unrighteousness. We see all of the faults. We see all of our shortcomings and our feelings. And for you and me, they're big, massive. Things. They're like, oh. And all of a sudden we, we, we think, well, if I see them, God must really, really see them. His eyesight is perfect. He knows me through and through. And we distance ourselves from our Creator. We devalue the work of Christ on our behalf. And somehow, in some way, we think that God doesn't want us or is not happy with this? He's dissatisfied. He's disappointed. Just like me with the socks that I thought were baby clothes. Oh! God isn't. He's not. He purchased you, not by slump. You're not like a lottery. Ezra won the lottery this week in the shop. We don't know what he, bought, what he won. What did you win, Donnie? A bunch. Fantastic. <laughs> You know, he won hand soaps at the lottery. He is the luckiest man in the village because he got hand soaps. It's just what every young boy wants, every young man wants hand soaps. Now he smells great. Everyone has to go and sniff his fingers. God didn't inherit you. I was told this week, I had a conversation with a young man this week. And he said to me, there's a difference between the love of friends and the love of family. Family have to love you. It's like the love of a dog. And he devalued that love. He devalued the love of family. Saying that he he didn't think it was worth much because they have to love you. Because they're your family. But friends, well friends, they don't even know you and they love you. I had to say to him, "Son, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. Friends come and go, but family stays forever. Family sees who you really are and put up with you. Family endure you and work for your good. God did not inherit you. He chose you. He adopted <coughs> you. He brought you into His family, and He worked on your behalf to make you clean and acceptable." He has dressed you spiritually. I wish he would dress me. But spiritually, he has clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, outside Christ, there is no hope. Outside Christ, the Bible says that you're dressed in filthy rags of your own righteousness. The Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our best efforts, all of our best things that we've ever done in our lives are like dirty diapers. Blow your... You ever change a dirty diaper? Oh my goodness, oh. It's, as a grandparent, I'm just going to give them back. I remember one of my boys had a poop attack once and it came out the back of their head. It was in shot the back of the nappy and came out the back of their head. Looked like Donald Trump. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine, you know, that kind of... Blo- and then go on to like the Queen of England, or the King of England, sorry, today, and it's like, this is what I think of you. This is my, all of my best efforts on your behalf are like this. Stinking, disgusting, awful. But the Bible says that you in your sin, that's the quality of your effort of your righteousness. Beloved, though you may be the nicest, best person in the world, Before God, God sees all of your sin, God sees all of your wickedness, God sees all of your rebellion, all of your unbelief, that which has separated you. The sin that is inherent in you, that is in your heart, that you yourself can't deal with. But the good news is that he has acted on our behalf. He's acted on your behalf. He has made a way where you could not make a way. He has provided one to be your supplicant. What's that in English? Uh, replacement Jesus Christ took your place upon the cross he took your place before the tsunami that was god's anger the fearful furnace of god's wrath <coughs> jesus took it all it's like you ever seen one of those films when the president's about to be shot someone somewhere is about to be shot and the hero runs across And dies in front and takes the bullet. Sacrifices himself on behalf of another. Beloved, that's what Jesus Christ did for you. Did for me. There was a bullet with your name on it. And he took that bullet for you. Died the death that should have been yours. And gave you the life that was his And it's there for everyone who would believe. Our sins have separated us from God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous. And yet God himself has offered a way. So beloved, if you're here today and you're a believer, stand fast in your faith. Understand and know that the remedy to Instability. I want to say unstability, but that doesn't sound right. Instability in your Christian life. This or this most of the time. I think most of us are like that down here. Get up some here. Nice and medium. Is knowing what God has done for you. Knowing your position, knowing your place in the kingdom, knowing that you and yourself can't make yourself right. You have been made right once and for all. And to remain in that doesn't mean to think I can't, I can't, I can I can't. And kind of think, oh, generate kind of faith in you. Like, if I push really hard, faith will come up. Just sit. If you want to know what faith looks like, think of a baby in the womb. The Bible says, if you abide in me, if you rest in me, and I in you, then you'll have life. A baby in the womb abides. You don't see babies in the womb going, grow grow Ah, I have to fight to remain here they just kind of get there they grow they take up more space they grow God willing healthily normal pregnancies at least be at peace in your faith rest in what Christ has done for you remain in that consistency Bible says, and finishing. Now there is forgiveness of these. Verse eighteen. There is no longer. Sorry, from sixteen. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds, and they will never. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. We're reminded of what God has done. God no longer remembers your sin. God no longer remembers your sin. Those careless words, those unfaithful acts, those fearful fears. God remembers them no more. Doesn't see them. Doesn't hold them against you. You know, being a married man, I I, I know what it is to have a you never win an argument, you never win a conversation. You know, I think Sarah has a ruler deck of all the things I've done wrong. From and I've done a lot of things wrong. You yeah. know, I remember 20 years ago you said this. I'm like, what? It's 20? It's unfair. I probably did say it, but it's still unfair. Can hold, well, hold that. I think she's a whole catalog of things that I've done wrong. She can hold against me. God isn't like that. She doesn't do that often. Doesn't do it at all. But God isn't like that. He remembers them no more. He looks upon you and that spirit of delight comes in him. Loves you. He loves you. And he demonstrated that because he gave Jesus Christ for you. He provided an exit for you. He provided righteousness for you. He made you perfect in righteousness. So beloved, stop torturing yourself. Stop trying to offer up some kind of penance. Stop trying to feel bad. Stop trying to work your way into heaven. Stop trying to work your way into God's affection. Stop being afraid about what people will say or think or don't be pulled along by the, the cultural, religious practices. Stand fast in your feet. My faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone, that's how we get on. That's how you enjoy being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't feeling bad all the time and you know telling people you know, about their sins and being sad and angry and having to live a miserable life. You're called to be happy, and I know that's hard for some of us. You're called to be content. You're called to be at peace. You're called to be an example of light. And not a big black hole of darkness. It's hard sometimes. But beloved, rest in him and what he has done for us. Remembering that he sees our sins no more and that our sin has been forgiven once and for all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us. Lord, so often we fall back into the old forms and fashions of this world. So often, Lord, we we are more cultural than Christian. Lord, so often um, we are distracted by the accusations of the devil Lord and by our unbiblical behaviour by our own unrighteousness that causes us to falter and fail but Lord help us Lord help us lift up Jesus in our eyes allow us O God to rest in him and Lord be confident in our faith of what he has done for us for we know that you have said that you have taken our sins from us that you see them no more as far as the east is from the west, so that you remove them from us. Lord, you have said that you have put your spirit in us and you write your law upon our hearts. Lord, please help us. Lord, we are small and fragile, and you remember, Lord, that we are made of butt of dust. But, oh God, please, we ask of you, give us the grace that we need, Lord, to remain stable and steadfast. Oh, Father, we pray for those who do not know you, Lord, who do not know the joy of sins forgiven, of the hope of eternity, who do not know, Lord, what it is to be alive in Christ. We pray, O oh, Father, for them, that they would see the extent of their need, though they would see the danger that they're in. We pray, O oh, God, that you would reveal the, the light that is Jesus, that, Lord, you would come into their experience in a powerful and present way. The Lord, you give them no peace until they bow the knee to him who is the Prince of Peace. Oh God, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.